Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Um, my name is Steve, and I am uh, the lead pastor here uh, for this community. It's good to be with you. I um, got to ask for a little bit of grace today. There's been a cold cough going through our family. I think I'm pretty much over it, but um, if my voice gives out, it's because of that. So anyway, just a heads up. Oh, I'm also wearing a mask today, and if I feel a little standoffish, it's really just because I don't want to get you sick, not because I don't want to see you. Okay. All right. Um, having said that, I, I, I uh, as many of you, I'm sure, do come in uh, to this space this morning um, with a heavy heart. It's been a, a hard week here in Davis. It's been a heavy and disturbing week here in Davis, and not just here, but I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. I mean, there's other communities in our country right now that are also uh, grieving and mourning violence. And this is one of those Sundays where, as a pastor, you have the, the task of getting up and, and saying something, uh, trying to preach good news into what feels like terrible news. Ten years ago, we were living in Boston, and I had to preach the Sunday after the marathon bombing. Um, that happened on a Monday. Um, all kinds of crazy things happened over the course of that week, and then that Sunday morning, um, I just happened to be the person who had to get up and, and preach on that day. And then, of course, a couple years ago, I, I had the opportunity, I guess, to speak into a camera um, on a Sunday in March, thinking that, you know, this whole COVID thing would be a couple-week disruption, and then we'd be back to normal, right? So there are these moments where you have to say something. You have to figure out how to preach good news into a situation that, again, feels like bad news. So let me just share with you a couple of things that I've been thinking about and reflecting on this week, and my hope is that in some way they help uh, encourage you and even frame where we're going in our larger conversation here in the Gospel of Mark. So as Caleb mentioned a moment ago, last Sunday was Serve Sunday, and our neighborhood community was out in a park. And I, I know that many other uh, of our groups who were serving um, last week were also in parks. This is one of the places where um, some of the violence of the last two weeks happened, right? And so to be in parks where... So much of life in Davis takes place, right? Whether we're uh, going for a run or riding our bike or attending a kid's sporting event or the farmer's market or whatever, there's many, many things that happen that we love and enjoy about uh, the parks in this community. And I know that, that for me anyway, it, just was, it, was, it was interesting to be in a park last Sunday. To know that, that these, I would even call them sacred spaces, had been violated in this way. So I was thinking about that. I was also thinking about the trash that we were picking up and how that specific activity has at times been used as a criticism of Serve Sunday. You know, why are we doing this? This is like menial, meaningless labor. Don't you, don't you know that I am like really talented? I should be doing more things. How is this helping grow our church? Someone, though, in our neighborhood community said as we prayed together, I love this, our world is messy, 
and we're just doing our part to clean up the mess. So I was thinking about parks, I was thinking about Service Sunday, I was thinking about doing our part to help clean up the mess. And then I was also thinking about the Gospel of Mark and some of the stories that are coming up. And in fact, we'll be in one of these stories next week. But these stories where Jesus uses metaphors to talk about the kingdom, right? And a lot of times when he's, when he's using metaphors, these pictures to explain what the kingdom is, he talks about small things, right? The kingdom, he says, is like a seed, a mustard seed. It's like salt. It's like light. It's like yeast. These small, seemingly insignificant things that over time bring transformation. And so tying those different threads together, our world is messy. Our world is messy. And there is always evil around us. And I do think that sometimes even living in a place like Davis, we have the ability to maybe ignore that or pretend like that isn't true. But there is always evil around us. And sadly, there are moments like we've experienced here where we are confronted with that in this very real way. Right, violence that rocks a community, a bomb set off at the finish line of a race. Whether it's right there at the surface or somewhere on the periphery, it is still there. It's still the reality of our fallen world. One of the other things that Jesus says often in the Gospel of Mark and, and other places as well is uh, he asks this question, do you have the eyes to see? Do you have the ears to hear? And, and I want to focus especially uh, on the eyes to see peace. Do we have the eyes to see the kingdom breaking in, even if it is small, even if it seems insignificance? Do we see these tiny seeds growing, the yeast working its way through the dough? Do we see salt preserving and seasoning food? Do we see light driving out darkness? We need the eyes to see the kingdom at work around us. Again, it may not look big or spectacular. It may look like a new relationship formed over here, a park cleaned up over there, a boundary crossed and some new connection made. It may look like a prayer answered in a very simple and unexpected way. Do we have the eyes to see? And so I just want to begin our time this morning with a prayer. A prayer that we may have the eyes to see. Discovery, may we be a church that has the ability to see, oh, that's it. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom showing up here. That's the kingdom breaking in here in Davis as it is in heaven. May we do our little part to clean up the mess and to push back against the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we do um, confess as we begin this morning um, that we bring a, a lot in with us today. Sometimes there are, are big current events that capture our 
attention but can feel disconnected because they're happening some other place. But there's no doubt that what's happened here in Davis has touched all of us in some uh, way, shape, or form. And so, God, I pray that, first of all, you would meet us in our grief. That you would meet us in our laments over the evil that we still experience in this world. But at the same time, would you give us hope? And would you help us to be a community that offers hope? A community that has the eyes to see and the ability to just point, look at this. Look at this, the kingdom breaking in here. Some light here, some yeast here, some salt here. Would you give us the eyes to see? And through those eyes, God, would you give us hope for our own selves, but also hope to share with others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, shifting gears quite a bit here for just a minute. One other thing that I, I did want to share with you guys today is I haven't actually been um, at a gathering for a little while. Part of that is because uh, if you rewind the clock, we had um, our kind of Sunday off because the theater was doing some work, right, or the school was doing some work out there. Um, so we did that uh, digital gathering in neighborhood communities. It was actually really a sweet time for those of us who participated in that. I think it was pretty cool. Um, then we were back here on the 23rd. During that Sunday, though, I was in Thailand visiting uh, one of our missions partners, Mark and Princess Bernardino. They've been serving college students at Thomasat University in Bangkok for 10 years now. And they're part of the Global Scope family. You've probably heard a little bit about Global Scope here through Discovery. We've been partnering with a couple of different teams. We've sent some teams of our own down to Uruguay um, uh, about a year and a half ago now, and then uh, just a couple months down to Chile um, to help host a thing called Latin Scope, and um, have just uh, again grown this really kind of fun, fruitful partnership and friendship with many of their teams. Um, the team in Thailand is is a team that maybe we haven't talked about a ton here on Sunday mornings, but again, one of our longest standing partners at this point, and the uh, organization Global Scope sent me there to spend some time with their team, to do some team building and encouragement and pastoral care. They haven't had uh, someone from the outside come and visit them for a while, um, partly because Thailand is really far away, um, and also partly because of COVID and all the, all the different restrictions that have been in place because of that. So it was great to go over there uh, and see them. Um, super encouraging to see what they are doing with students, um, students who are primarily uh, from like a Buddhist background and worldview. I got to do my Easter teaching on the resurrection, and we had this really fascinating conversation about the difference between reincarnation and resurrection and just lots of wonderful things that God is doing in students there. Um, so it was a very cool experience, even though it was very, very hot uh, the whole time that I was there. I, I did want to share a quick sort of update video and thank you so you have a chance to meet Mark and Princess. Um, so take a look at the screen as we watch this together. Thank you so much for sending Steve over. We had so much fun and learned a tons from him. Yeah, this semester um, met us with a lot of challenges at the beginning, but God has remained faithful as, as he is always that he has shown us so many movements in the lives of the students. And we ended this semester with a huge success 
with students asking us, even almost begging us to continue teaching them about Jesus. And that for us is a big, big win. We probably haven't have done this without you guys praying for us and supporting us and always thinking about us. Now we want to ask you to um, pray with us um, about some more things. We want to ask you to first pray as we prepare to go on sabbatical for the first time in 10 years in this ministry. And uh, we are so excited um, to have this rest and to have some time to just re reestablish and re-strengthen our, our bodies and our lives and our minds in preparation for the next semester. Also, celebrate with us as we also celebrate our 10th year as leaders in this ministry. And again, God has been so faithful. God has been so loving. And I know that God has used you to show that love and to share those blessings with us. So we really appreciate it. We will see you all soon and we're sending Steve back home. So what do you have? <laughs> All right, Mark and Princess, they are awesome people. Hopefully, um, one thing that you can be praying uh, uh, for them is that they have some ongoing visa issues that prevent them from getting um, to the United States. Uh, and so that would be a, uh, one thing very specific that I would encourage you to be in prayer for them about is that some of that would get cleared up um, so that they can do some of that uh, traveling and have an opportunity to come visit us and say hi to you guys in person. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, meet me in Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at the first six verses here um, as we get going this morning, continuing our our series, our conversation in the Gospel of Mark, the stories of Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 begins like this. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. Notice, notice those words. Right? Jesus looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Okay, cool story. Um, this story ends uh, a section within, uh, within Mark's telling of the Jesus story. It's a section that begins at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. And so if you read uh, the beginning of chapter 2 through right here, verse 6 at the beginning here of 3, you will see that there's this ongoing succession of events where Jesus and the Pharisees are, are kind of getting after each other, right? Kind of poking each other a little bit. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the gatekeepers of their day. The tension between them is heating up. And, and Jesus is really kind of pressing on some things that they held very dear. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, Jeff did a great job of, of walking us through two of those things, the Sabbath and fasting. So that tension has been building. Jesus is, is kind of messing with their conception of what these things are. And it all culminates here in this scene. Again, full of strong emotions. 
right? Even Jesus' anger. And it leads already here at the beginning of Mark chapter 3. We've got 13 more chapters to go. But already here at the beginning of chapter 3, you have the Pharisees plotting Jesus' death. And interestingly, plotting it in partnership with the Herodians. Who, uh, this is like Democrats and Republicans getting together on something. These are not people that normally work together. Now the issue at play in this larger section is that the Pharisees were, again, leaders, gatekeepers, participants in a religious system that worked well for them. And they put so much faith in this system that even when God shows up in the flesh, they cannot see him. Right, back to that idea of the eyes to see, right? They are so locked in to their religious system that when God shows up in the flesh, they don't see him. And not only do they not see him, they want to kill him because he's so threatening to their system. Now, one reaction to this idea of systems is to kind of go in the direction of like, let's burn it all down. Right? Systems are terrible. And they oppress people, and so let's just get rid of all of it and start over again. When I was in high school, there was a band that I got into called Rage Against the Machine. There we go. Scott Palmer is my boy. Um, Rage Against the Machine was, for me, kind of this entryway into understanding this whole concept of injustice and that there are systems that work for some people, especially for people like me, right, as a white, straight, male person that don't work for everyone else. And so Rage was my, my kind of entry into that. Uh, in particular, I really love Tom Morello, who's the guitar player. Um, but I found the whole thing to be fascinating and kind of opened up the world to me in a new way. Now, Rage expresses, again, this reaction to the idea of systems, which is burn it all down, get rid of it, let's start over. But the truth is, the truth is that systems are not all bad. In fact, without systems, our world doesn't work. Our bodies have systems. Our families have systems. Our places of work, schools, even churches have systems. Right? And these things provide, these systems provide structure that help those things function. Now, I grew up in a family that um, if you're into like, Myers-Briggs and personality tests. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? All right. So I grew up in a family with two parents who are high, high J's on the Myers-Briggs, which means that they love organization and structure. And, and I am somewhat lower than them on that scale. And so for most of my like growing up life, I always felt like a, I, I was constantly failing because I was like, I cannot get myself organized the way that my parents are organized. And, and part of that, you can kind of, you know, rage against the machine, not liking to be organized. You can kind of see where, I, you know, some of my, like, life development has come from, right? Um, but over time, I've found that the issue wasn't so much that I wasn't as organized as my parents. The issue was that I just hadn't found a system that worked for me. And so over time, I've discovered the, the beauty of the moleskin planner. I've discovered the beauty of the quad pen. All right, and these things work for me, right? These are my systems that help me stay 
organized. And now I've, been, I've got like 12 of these on my bookshelf, um, and there's a million clod pins floating around my house, mostly because my kids steal them, and then I can't find them. Um, but anyway, the point there is it, you have to find the system that works for you, right? Because it's not so much that systems are bad. The issue becomes when we place systems over relationships. Systems are simply repeated ways of doing and being that create clarity and preserve energy. And when they are held loosely, I think this is the key thing, when they are held loosely, systems can be helpful and life-giving. But there is this thing in us, call it pride, call it fear, call it sin, there is this thing in us that will choose the clarity of the system over the messiness of relationships. There is this thing in us that will choose the clarity of the system over the messiness of relationships, especially when the system works for us. And I think nothing illustrates this more clearly, more poignantly, even more heartbreakingly than when Jesus asks the question, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath? Right, to do good or to do evil? To, to save life or to kill. I think part of his anger is that he even has to ask this question. Are you kidding me? I have to ask this question? Because what's the, what is the right answer here? It's to do good. Right? It's to save life. But their response is, is fascinating, right? What do they do? They say nothing. They say nothing. Obviously, doing good is better. Healing this guy is better. But they could not let go of the system that worked for them for the sake of relationship. Now, quickly, I, wanna, I want us to see here what happens next. Continuing down into verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. It's a very kind of wide, wide area. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Now one of the things that Mark does all throughout the book is, is use contrast. Use juxtapositions to, to kind of uh, show things about different characters, about Jesus, about the things that he's trying to teach them. Here's just a couple of them from our section today. You have demons who recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And you have pastors who can't see him, right? who, who want to kill him because they see him as a threat to their system. You have Jesus and his disciples in a small boat overwhelmed by this large crowd. You have a man healed and restored, right, a good thing, leading to the Pharisees and Herodians to plot murder together. You see Jesus, right, who's supposed to be mild and meek and compassionate, 
We'll talk about his compassion here in just a moment. But we see Jesus dismayed and angered by stubborn hearts. I want us to see this this, uh, scene with the crowd for a moment just to show that this is more than a one guy in the synagogue thing. There are crowds of people from a wide range of areas for whom the system was failing. They're desperate. Right? They are desperate for something different, for help, for healing, for anything more than what they were getting. And so Jesus shows up and they flock to him. Because it was not working for them. For those of us who have been in church for a while, this story should be pretty disturbing. And it should provoke us to ask some hard questions. Do our systems, do our religious systems, do our church systems actually prevent us from loving God and loving each other? Have we chosen church and church culture over mission? Right? Is it easier for us to just kind of be in the church than it is for us to actually go out and meet people where they're at? People who are desperate for something different. Do we prefer the clarity and simplicity of a system over the tension and messiness of relationships? Now in a different version of the Jesus story, this is in the the book of Matthew, we get a little bit of insight into Jesus' concern for those whom the system had failed. This is Matthew chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's read it this way. When Jesus saw Davis, he had compassion on the city. Because the people there were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Our city needs us. Our city needs us not to come in and solve all the problems or to, uh, uh, you know, make everything better. Our city needs us to be moved by compassion and to offer hope. Let me read that one more time. When Jesus saw Davis... He had compassion on the city because the people there were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Two questions for us. Have our preferences created a barrier to participation in the mission? The the Pharisees in this story represent to me uh, where a lot of churches get sidetracked. You know, where, where we get into our preferences. I like preaching this way and to worship this way and I like small groups this way and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Meanwhile, crowds of people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Have we allowed our preferences to get in the way of the mission? And then the second question is, is our response to our city, is our response to the crowds to complain? Or is it compassion? Everywhere I've lived and I have fully participated in this, so this is confession for me. 
it's easy to complain. Oh, Davis is so blah, you know, whatever. Fill in the blank. Do we complain or are we moved by compassion? Let go of our preferences and pray for our hearts to be moved towards a compassionate response for our city. Now as we come to the communion table, there is no good or easy answer to violence, to evil, to sin. We, we know, of course, that Jesus overcomes all of this through his death and resurrection, but it's still hard to live in this world. Are you with me? But we come to the table, we come back to this moment week after week to remember and to celebrate what Jesus has done, not because it, it, it's a, uh, you know, it sort of numbs the pain or it, it sort of hel helps us kind of check out of the reality of what is going on. No, we come to the table because it is here in the bread and the wine, the bread and the juice, Jesus' body broken and poured out. It is here where we experience and know God's compassion. It is here where we know and experience his love. It is here where we know and experience hope. And it is here where we can be transformed from critique to compassion. It is through his body broken. His blood poured out. His entering into our harassed and helpless state to rescue us, to restore us, to heal us. This is the good news of Jesus. Right? Jesus who suffers with us and on our behalf. And yes, overcomes it through his death and resurrection. But maybe most significantly for us this morning, promises to be with us in whatever it is that we are going through. This is the good news of communion. I want us to uh, end this portion of our gathering today. If you don't mind standing, if you are able. I want us to read Psalm 23 together. Very famous psalm. We're going to read it from uh, the New King James Version. Uh-oh. I'll try to help us out here, all right. Uh, read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can have a seat. Let me pray for us. And so, Father, we... Um, 
we come now to the, this moment of communion with gratitude. Um, and with humility. Uh, grateful for what you have done on our behalf. That the answer to the issues that we see in our own lives, in our own hearts, in the world around us is not to work harder or to be better, but to run to you. To, as we, as we sang earlier, to make room for you. And so that's what we do right now, God. We make room for you. As we come to the table, as we remember the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and what that means for us. Your overcoming of sin and death, your work to make right relationship with you possible, with each other possible. We come uh, confessing that there are times, God, where we choose systems and structure over relationship because it just feels easier. But may we be willing to sacrifice our preferences for the sake of your mission because there are people, ourselves included, who feel harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so God, we pray now that, that we would know, maybe for the first time, maybe in a new and fresh way, may we know that you are the good shepherd. That you are with us, that you are for us, that no matter what we are going through, what we are experiencing, you are in it with us. You experience it too. It breaks your heart too. As we prayed earlier, God, would you give us the eyes to see? May we see this place that you have us, this city, with eyes of compassion. With the same kind of compassion that you have towards each one of us. And may you empower us, teach us, lead us to be good news and to offer hope to our city, to our coworkers, to the people that we're in class with, to our neighbors, God. We pray all of this this morning in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.